0: You're listening to the Journey to Launch Podcast, a Q and A episode. I'm answering your questions about the best strategies to pay off debt. If turnkey real estate investing is a good idea and how to stay motivated on your journey, plus lots more. 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch Podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant, as a money expert who walks her talk. She helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. This episode is going to be a question and answer episode. I'll be answering some of your questions. So before we get into that real quick, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you are looking forward to it every week, every Wednesday, it comes out with some bonus episodes here and there, make sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen to this podcast. It's free, right? So it's a free podcast, it's free information that you get, and once you subscribe, it just automatically downloads to wherever you listen to it so like on your phone it will download to your phone now if you listen to this podcast in the apple podcast app that's that purple app on your phone please take a moment to rate review and subscribe to it there too i read every single review sometimes i read it on the podcast maybe i'll do i'll read a review on the podcast at the end of someone who left the review so thank you in advance for doing that And of course, keep telling a friend to tell a friend and tell a friend about the podcast, about Journey to Launch so they can join us on this journey to financial freedom. Now, follow me on social media too to keep up with things. I'm at Journey to Launch everywhere, basically on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You know, I love when you guys share that you're listening to the episode. So screenshot it, leave any comments or things that stuck out and tag me, at me in your stories or on your feed so I can see it. Now, with the question and answers that I'm doing today, so just real quick, I have a membership community for journeyers like yourself who are taking it to the next level. It's almost like a big mastermind group where they're getting tools, resources, and support for their journey. One of the things that we do every month is we have a group coaching call where members can come and get support and ask questions, and it's really amazing. So some of the questions I'll be answering from the group coaching calls in the past Now, doors to the Money Launch Club are currently closed, but you should get on the wait list if this is something you're interested in joining. It's moneylaunchclub.com. Sometimes I open up the wait list early and give a little bonus for people who are on that list. So really, if you're interested in learning more, joining us, go to moneylaunchclub.com. Now, let's get into some of the questions that I'll be answering. One of the questions that came up on a group coaching call was from a member who had about six figures of student loan debt. And they also have some equity in their home. They were asking if they should take a home equity line out to pay off their student loan. So of course I wanted to ask a bit more questions about this. And she also revealed that really the money, the home equity line wouldn't pay off all her loan. So let's just say her debt was about a hundred thousand. She said that the home equity line would only take care of about 30 or 40,000 of it. And that she also was looking to sell her home in a couple years. So just a couple of things around that, some thoughts, because I know this might be something that other people are wondering about, like you have some equity in your home and then you have all this other debt that maybe higher interest rate than what your your loan would be or your home equity line loan would be. And so you're wondering if you should just pay off that debt with that. A couple of things to consider. Remember that Usually, mostly your student loan debt and like credit card debts, they're unsecured debt, meaning you didn't have to put anything up to get that debt. If you default on that debt, they can come after you and put it in collections, but they can't come and take. So if you bought like a TV where your credit card and you don't pay your credit card off, they can't come and take the TV. With a home now, if you roll that debt into your home and for some reason you can't pay that debt, your home now is on the line. Like they can come and foreclose on your loan. So moving one debt an unsecured debt to a secured line of debt is risky for the fact that if something happens and you can't pay that debt, now your home is on the line, right? So that's one. Two is remember that you're not really paying off debt in that way. Really, you're just moving debt around. You're shuffling it around. And so it's not that you're paying off your student loan debt, you're just moving it to another credit line. Um, So that's important to note too. Now, I believe that for... Some people, this may work for some people. If you do the numbers, and that's the biggest thing, like everyone's situation is different. So I'm talking about running the numbers to really see what this looks like for you, what the scenario looks like, how much do you pay on your current student loan every month with that balance and interest rate? If you open up a home equity line, what does that look like? And what are the costs for that, right? So if you are opening up a home equity line, then what are the costs for doing that? Um, Typically, there are costs associated with it. And what is actually the difference in payment? Is it that big of a difference rolling in the cost of doing that home equity line? Also, when you are thinking about doing things like this, it's important to understand like the psychology behind it. So I understand it might feel really good to just like get rid of that student loan. But in this scenario, she's not even able to pay off the entire student loan balance. So it'd still be a balance on the student loan. And so I know for her and a lot of people with this problem, with this six-figure student loan problem or a lot of debt, it just seems so overwhelming and it feels like you're never going to get out of it. And so you are looking for ways and almost like quick ways to put dents in it. And I'll say this, that however you got into that debt, so if if even if it's a student loans, if you think about it, if you went to school for four years and went to graduate school for another two years, that took about six years for you to accumulate that debt. So you won't be able to like pay off that debt in a couple months. It's going to take some time, especially depending on your income and your expenses. So you need to have some grace and patience with yourself on this journey. It's going to take a while, especially when you have a big balanced debt. And it reminds me of a couple stories that I had on the podcast or people who came on and shared how they paid off huge amounts of debts. So I will say the episode number is here for you so you can go back and check it out. But uh what comes to mind is Nasima who on episode 16 Nasima's from financially intentional she talked about paying off a huge amount of debt. I think at the time it was like 300,000 when she came on my podcast. Now it's like close to a million of debt that she's paid off. And so go to journeytolaunch.com/episode16. So write that down and then maybe listen to that episode after you listen to this. But she talks about paying off debt, but I also want you when you listen to these stories to think about the ways and the tools and the levers that these people pulled to be able to do that. So for Nasima, she focused on utilizing her income. She's a nurse and was able to increase her income and really be more mindful of her expenses. And so she f- focused on earning more and she was able to sell property to help reach that goal. So look at ways in which maybe you don't have the same situation as Nasima or the next person I'm about to mention, Takaya. So Takaya was on episode 69. She had a 100,000 of of debt, various debt, and she went to being able to pay that off and accumulate about $500,000 in savings. When I spoke to Takaya, her major drivers to being able to do that was she got really focused about her expenses. She sacrificed. She turned a lot of things down in terms of going out. She got bare bones with her budget and that took a while. It wasn't something that happened overnight or in one year. It took a few years for her to be able to do that. And then what comes to mind too is Sylvia's story. So Sylvia was on episode 47. She paid off six figures of law school debt. And for her, her biggest thing was frugality. She's very frugal. So even though when she first started her journey, she wasn't earning a lot of money, what she did was she like cut things down to the bare bones and she hustled, she side hustled. So Sylvia talked about uh, delivering pizza. You know, after she went to work for the law firm she was working for at nights and on weekends, she delivered pizza. And sometimes she delivered pizza to her fellow lawyers that she worked with. And so for her and for many of the stories where you hear people paying off debt and doing things, like it takes some sacrifice. It takes doing things totally different. All that to say, if you have a large balance loan and you're considering creatively paying it off and you're like, oh, maybe I should use a home equity line. I want you to consider a few things. I want you to consider the cost for the closing cost for doing that with the home equity line want you to consider moving something from an unsecured line of debt to a secured line of debt and remembering that you're just moving money around at that point. And then the other one I want you to consider, the main thing is that there is no magic thing that's gonna overnight get rid of your debt unless you win the lottery. And then if that's the case, can I have some of that? But in general, it's gonna take some time. Every one of the stories that I mentioned took some time and it took some sacrifice, whether that was earning more, focusing on earning more, sacrificing and cutting things out the budget and saying no for years to things that friends around them were doing, like going out and taking trips and then being able to sell and, you know, maybe sell something. So it might involve selling a home to pay off debt, right? Like it's going to be an individual journey. So I'm not saying that like someone couldn't use this method to pay off their student loans. I'm sure that there's someone listening right now that that worked for, but in general, I want you to consider those and run the numbers. I always tell people this, if anything fails or you're kind of curious about really how this plays out for you, run the numbers. How much money are you really saving if you do it that way? Is it worth the saving cost? And then in this person's case, she said she was selling the home anyway. So one of my last closing thoughts to her was if you take that equity line out, then when you do go to sell your home, hoping that it does sell for more than the mortgage, then that's going to be less money that you have in your pocket to then pay off or choose to pay off whatever debts you have. consider the long-term and really if this is a home that you're going to stay in versus sell shortly or quickly. Okay. Another question that we got in the Money Launch Club was, is it ever worth it to take money out of your retirement account to pay off debt? Now, this is an interesting one. And again, this all goes to, it's going to be different. So my blanket answer for the most part will be no, right? So I'll just say that I don't think you should reach into your retirement account to pay off debt. Now, I know, though, and I was actually someone shared in the launch club that they were able to borrow from their 401k, pay off some credit card debt, and now they're paying back their 401k loan. And she said that she was able to save so much money doing that, and it feels so much better, like there's a weight lifted off of her. Instead of paying to multiple credit card companies, she's paying to this one loan. And so for her, it's working out. My blanket reason for telling most people no are a couple of reasons. One, your retirement money, your investment money is long-term money. And so if you take that money out, then it's not gonna grow over time. The whole point of investing for the long-term is the longer your money stays in, the more it compounds, the more interest it grows. And so taking it out basically just cuts into your returns. It, It cuts you off from that potential future growth. Two is whatever the reasons that got you into debt. So whether that is a spending issue, a income issue, an expense issue, or all the above or psychology issue, right? Like spending to fill a gap that is not going to be filled by spending. If you don't fix those components, even if you pay off debt with a 401k loan, or if we go back to the first question, if you pay off debt, with refinancing into a home equity line, you're still gonna be in trouble because whatever situation, whatever habits, behaviors got you into the debt in the first place are just gonna continue. Essentially, you're just delaying the problem or delaying the reckoning of having to pay. And then what's gonna happen is now, not only do you have 401k loan to pay off, but your debt keeps accumulating because you have not fixed the problem. You had not have created a budget and spending plan You've not reeled in your expenses. You've not focused on earning more and disciplining yourself. And so therefore the problem just keeps on exponentially compounding. So the same way that investments compound and make you money over time, debt compounds and cost you money over time. And your behavior and your patterns also do that if you don't fix it. So I'm not an advocate for taking money out your retirement account to pay off debt. It may work in certain situations um, depending, but I would say for most people, that you should focus on your what you can do with your current cash flow in order to pay off that debt. And it might take a while. I think so many people are looking for the quick way out and I get it. We are living in a moment of instant return, right? Amazon now, it's like you can get something in the same day delivered. Netflix, everything is on demand. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's just instant gratification. So in order, when you make these plans of paying off debt and you realize like, wow, I have to stay committed and stay long-term in this journey and it might take five years. It's not easy. It's not easy. So I get it. I get the the reasoning and I get why it might work for some people, but I do think you got to focus on the foundation stuff first before you even think about that. And then, as I always say, run the numbers. The other thing about borrowing from your retirement account is when you do that, so if for whatever reason you sever ties with that company, whether you get fired or you choose to quit, You have to pay back that loan immediately, that 401k loan immediately. So that's also a risk that you're taking and might just end you right back to where you are. I also thought thought it was interesting because again, psychology comes into play. Where if you are the kind of person who you just hate when you pay your credit card bill or your student loan debt, like you're like, ah, because I I know that I know I have some people that feel that way in the group and in real life, and they actually don't like they feel like. The man is getting them when they do that, like, oh, I have to pay the student loan debt. Like, I hate it. So it almost feels better that they're at least paying back themselves in a 401k loan. So that's another psychology um, that I see that people are kind of going after. Like, But I also want you to remember that you are the one that took out the student loan debt. You are the one that took out the credit cards. And yes, despite maybe not knowing better at some point, and especially with the student loans, how many of us just were not given the proper resources, tools, and support to make better decisions. But it's taking self responsibility and it's like, you're not, it's, it's not necessarily, yes, it's not the fault of the creditors. Um, now, um, especially with the way things are set up, maybe you weren't given the right tools, but now it's, it is your responsibility to pay it back. So essentially you're not getting anyone back <laughs> by not paying it or by, you know, feeling mad that you have to pay it. But I totally get those feelings of resentment <laughs> because I know so many of you guys feel it. Okay. Another question that we got was how to stay motivated on the small things. So this member said that the bigger things she's okay with, like the rent and mortgage and the food, she can kind of handle, but it's the everyday little expenses that she has a problem controlling or just, you know, keeping motivated on. So for example, it's like, Oh yeah, I want this bottle of wine and I want to buy this coffee. And so the everyday little things kind of trip her up versus the bigger things. And I think that's just something that's a universal thing for a lot of people that the little things, because they seem so little, don't seem like a big deal and you can lose sight of it. And then all of a sudden, when you look back at your expenses or what you spent, you realize you were over budget or you spent more than you had. I think this is where a budget comes in and not just like a budget that's static where you only look at it once a month, but a budget that you can continually go back to, something that you can carry with you to really see where you are. And that way you could spend without guilt. This is my biggest thing. I am not against spending. Spending is investing in yourself in a certain degree. When you're talking about, like, for example, let's just say you do enjoy coffee. And when you get that coffee, whether you're buying it out, whatever, especially buying it out, it's an investment in your happiness in your peace of mind, whatever that is, right? That's fine. The problem comes in when you're doing that every day and then complaining that you can't pay off debt, right? Then you have to make a decision that, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to cut back on that or cut it out and make that sacrifice to pay off debt? So I don't mind spending, right? It's more about creating a spending plan for those indulgences, for those investments in your happiness. And that's where something like a budget. So you know, I use YNAB, that's my budgeting tool that I use. And I always um, tell people if they're looking for an app that they should use. So YNAB stands for You Need a Budget. They're not sponsoring this episode, but I do have a link with them so that if you wanted to try it for two months for free, you can do that by going to journeytolaunch slash y n a b. Something like YNAB. YNAB allows you to download your budget on your phone, so it's an app on your phone. And if you're keeping up with your budget, you're able to see how much money you have left for a certain expense. So, for example. I have a blow money uh, category. My husband has a blow money category. Every month we get money allocated to blow money, meaning we can spend it however we choose. And then we have a restaurant line item in our budget and other various line. We even have a liquor <laughs> line item, okay? So we have a liquor line item for, you know, when we go get wine or whatever, a bottle of liquor. So, if I'm updating my budget every month, every other day or week, I know now when it's time for me when I'm out and I'm looking at that Starbucks, I'm like, "Hmm, should I go in?" I can look at my blow money and see, well, I have $300 or whatever it is, $100 left in my blow money for the month. I can spend this without guilt because I know that. And so when it becomes uh, thinking about staying motivated on the small things, consider how you can keep track of what you're doing and what you really have to spend um, going forward. So that way you can spend without feeling bad about it. Because the worst thing to do is when you go now to spend the money. So you go out to eat, you go out to buy that coffee or whatever it is, and then you feel bad that you're buying it. You're like, can I really afford this? Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should have put this money towards debt. And then you're not even enjoying the experience versus you might as well enjoy it. So biggest thing here is if you have something, create a budgeting tool or system, get an app like YNAB to help you figure out how much you can spend in these areas without guilt. And then accountability. Accountability is super important. So whether that's someone in your life or online. So that's the benefit of joining communities like the money launch club and then just even following online accounts that you like or that inspire you. So when you are maybe thinking about, you know, I need to do this thing or I'm kind of tempted to do this, you can share that with someone who's experiencing the same thing. And maybe they'll kind of bring you to your senses is like, do you really need that? Like, is that something you really need or? maybe they'll say, okay, enjoy yourself and you guys talk through it. That happens a lot in the Money Launch Club, but it's something where you have to create a system or a level of accountability around you, even around the small things. Because trust me, whatever little question or hesitation you have, someone else is going through and they wish they could talk to someone else too. All right. So staying motivated on the small things. Hopefully that gave you some some tips, but essentially... Make sure you have a budget that you're sticking to and that you can follow up with and then create some accountability in your life. And then if you're gonna spend on it, you might as well not have guilt and and hesitation around it. So that's where the budget and accountability comes in because then you feel just a little bit more empowered in your decisions on actually spending. Okay, I got another question about paying off a bunch of loans at once. So this, this was more about credit card debt. The person asks that they have a bunch of credit card debt, various interest rates, various balances, and they try to pay off a little more than a minimum or pay more than a little more than minimum every month on a bunch of them. He was asking if he should keep that strategy or if he should focus on one. So this is another question that gets asked a lot. By the way, I can never say the word ask. (laughs) But this question gets thrown around a lot because, you know, people have credit card debt, various types of credit card debt. And how do you start making a debt in it if there's like various minimum payments? So some of you might know this already, but I'm just going to go through it in case you don't. So there are two kind of mainstream ways to pay off debt. That's the avalanche method. That's where you pay off the highest interest rate to lowest interest rate debt first. Let's just keep it to credit card debt first. And then there's a snowball method where you're paying off the lowest balance first, and then you move on to the highest balance. So in both of those scenarios, you pay the minimum of all your credit card debt, let's say, or debts, and then any extra money you would put towards that debt that you're focusing on. So in the avalanche method, if you had extra money after you paid off your minimum balances, you put the $200, let's say, to your highest interest rate. And you'd focus every extra money that you had, you focus it to your highest interest rate until it goes away. And then the snowball method, it'd be focusing all your extra efforts to the lowest balance until that goes away. Then once you have that money cleared up, so that minimum balance now is gone away because that credit card is paid off, you can take that whole minimum balance and the extra money that you had to put towards the next debt. So with this, you do need to understand all your debts. So credit card debt, you'd know, you list that out and you list it off by interest rate. And outstanding balance and you could sort it by those two ways. Technically. So if you're a logical person, if you like numbers, the avalanche method where you're paying off the highest interest rate is going to save you more money over time because you're paying off the highest interest rate. But the snowball method I find works really well for motivation and psychology because if you have a balance of a, you know, a couple hundred or even a thousand that you can pay off if you focus on it in a few months, versus if you're focusing on the highest interest rate and that highest interest rate happens to be also your highest balance, you might not feel like you're making a debt in that, right? Versus if you can focus really hard on paying off the the lowest balance, you get rid of that debt and it's one less thing you have to worry about. It's like, you could check it off, it goes away. And that might give you the psychology, the motivation of like, yes, I'm doing this, I'm making progress. So my advice to anyone who has this and this is what I told him, was that you should focus on Basically one at a time, meaning after you pay your minimum, pick a method and stick with it. You mean you could change it if you find it's not working for you. But in this case, I recommended paying off the lowest, lowest balance first to give you that momentum and motivation as you go. And the other thing is the reason why it's, it's good to not. Split the money and attention all over the place. It's the same thing as productivity. You know how now with the productivity, if you're focusing on a million things, then you can't do anything correctly or right. Same thing, kind of what your debt. Not that you can't get it right, but meaning you're so focused on on everything that you're not seeing the progress made in one area. So it's like having ten tasks to do. You only you spend five or ten minutes on each task, and then at the end of the day, you're looking at yourself like, what did I what did I do all day? Versus just like your debt, if you're only, if you have like a couple hundred dollars every month to put towards a debt, but then you're splitting it off as the above payment to various debts, it feels like you're not making a dent versus just putting that one lump additional payment to one debt. So I say pick a method, avalanche or snowball. Snowball is better for psychology where you're paying off the loan's balance and focus on that. And then see, maybe try it for six months and see how that motivates you and what that feels like and go from there. Okay, now we're going to take a voicemail question from Rashida. Hi, I wanted to get your advice or your thoughts on beginner investors using turnkey rentals to start off investing, especially if they don't have um, experience or contractors in place about how to rehab and different things like that. Do you suggest? doing the turnkey method or just starting from the ground up. Okay. Thanks for leaving that voicemail. By the way, if you have a voicemail question that you want to hear answered on the next Q&A episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash voicemail to leave your question or comment. Okay. So now answering Rashida's question, I hear a lot of Things and talk and interest about real estate. I am a someone who's interested all the time in real estate. If you guys didn't know, my background is in real estate, meaning I actually have my master's degree in real estate from NYU. I also, when I worked full time, worked in corporate real estate investing and asset management. And personally, I just like real estate. So I always love talking about real estate. And this is a good question because so many people want to like get started and get into this and it can be a little overwhelming. And just, you don't know where to start. So turnkey investing, let's just go through what that is for anyone if you're listening and you don't know. Turnkey is basically uh where you get a property, whether that's a house, duplex, apartment building, something that's fully renovated already and it's ready for purchase. And sometimes it already has a tenant in it. So you don't even have to look for a tenant. So think about you're literally getting a property that you could just put a key in and turn it and it's good. That's where they get the term turnkey property from for our investor who's looking at this, it seems like a wonderful deal. You don't have to deal with rehabbing and there's no additional work. And a lot of times if you're buying this from turnkey property managers or investors, they actually will manage it for you. So literally all you're doing is putting money up to get a finished property that is going to you know, be able to be rented out or comes with tenants. And you don't have to do a lot of the manual kind of day-to-day work. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? It does. But there are some things you should be aware of when it comes to turnkey investing. So first is, you know, it's not fail-proof. There's no investment that's fail-proof that, you know, 100% you put it in, you're going to get your money back and it's going to like always do well. So you're going to want to make sure that you really understand the market. So typically with turnkey investing, that's, People use if they live in like a high cost of area of living and they can't afford where they live and they want to invest in other markets. So you might want to say to yourself, okay, I'll look somewhere else. Um, that's cheaper than where I currently am. And that way I'm able to invest and I'm not in the area, right? It's far away. It's long. It's somewhere far away. So someone else is managing it for me. I don't have to worry about that. So all in all, that sounds great. But in order to do that, you do need to find a reputable company, right? That you can trust that is doing that for you or that has a track record of delivering good properties and managing property. So wherever you can, you must be able to meet them, right? So you still, just because you're doing turnkey property, I always recommend, even if it's not somewhere in your local area, to actually go and understand the market, you still need to do the groundwork. So this shouldn't be like, okay, I'm doing turnkey property investing and I don't need to do anything. Like you still need to do the upfront work of understanding whatever market that product or house is in, understanding how rental rates are, what the income levels are for where you're buying, what uh, vacancy rates are, what selling rates are, how long do things stay on the market? These are all things you should still understand. And even if you're getting this information from the from the company that you're dealing with, you should try to get outside sources to confirm that, right? Because the company is gonna give you information, but it's probably gonna support them getting the sale. So you still wanna do your due diligence. So I'll say that it doesn't take the legwork out of it. But it does take some of the onerous of being like a hands-on property manager and rehabbing and all these things. So after you, let's just say you find that the company is reputable, you maybe are able to talk to people who've actually dealt with them and bought properties from them, then you still need to run the numbers, right? So how much money do you need to put up? What's the return like? Is this something that you're considering to do long-term? If you did that versus investing, so the average returns on that versus investing in an index fund, let's just say, like a passive. So if you're a passive investor, I'm assuming that you also would also like to invest your, your into stocks that way. So you might be looking at index funds. And so what's the returns, the historical returns for that property market that you want to buy in and going forward, what that looks like versus what is it, how, what hasn't been for an index fund? Because if you have $50,000 and you could put that into a turnkey property or any real estate, and then you have $50,000 that you can also put in index fund, what's that look like over time based on the historical rates? So run those numbers and then basically come to a decision of what works best. Now, when it comes to actually like buying something you have to rehab, obviously that's gonna be like a lot more work than turnkey. And so if you're like a busy professional, you don't have the time to do that and you, you're partnering with a company that's doing all that for you. Again, that sounds great. But if you're someone who wants to learn in that way, remember, if you're actually doing the rehab yourself, the property management yourself, kind of, or even if you hire that part out, that's gonna take more work, but you'll probably quote unquote save money that way, maybe, right? Like if you're doing the labor yourself or hiring your own people versus paying someone to do it because they are gonna be fees, additional fees associated with that. So all in all, I think that turnkey is a good way for some people to get started, but you still need to run the numbers and do the due diligence to see if it's gonna work for you. So this question comes from Kristen and I'll try to leave some identifying information out, but I read it as she asked the question. She says, hi, Jamila, I just started listening to your podcast today and it's gotten me motivated to get rid of my debt. And I was hoping to get your advice on how to tackle my debt. I work currently as a paralegal earning 39000 a year plus overtime. I just knocked out about a third of my car loan and reduced it to 12000 Awesome. And I have student loans of just over 22000 I live with my parents and I'm eager to get out the house, but I know that living with them is the best choice to get rid of my debt sooner. I'm trying to figure out which debt to really attack first. I've heard of Dave Ramsey's snowball approach to debt. My student loans have an interest rate of about So the interest rate is accruing faster on that versus my car loan of 4.3%. Should I continue focusing on my car loan or should I tackle my student loan to reduce how much I'm paying in interest? Do you have any tips for me? I'm also considering taking up side hustling again, my online English teacher on VIPKid. But I would have to pretty much lose my social life because the classes are in the wee hours of the morning. So I would have to do them before I leave for my job at 7.30. What do you recommend? Amazing question, Christian, because so many um, people actually have the questions like this as it pertains to their debt and which one to pay off first. And so here's what I say. I was able to do some math. I love when I can put numbers in and do math. That's like my favorite thing to do because that helps me figure out a lot of times, like, does it logistically or logically, mathematically make sense? So I went online, I found a calculator that was able to kind of compare versus like if you did the snowball method and avalanche method, which I'll go over really quickly what that comes out to. So I answered this in the previous question just now, but I'll just reiterate just for a recap. So the snowball method is when you pay off your lowest balance debts first. So after you pay the minimum on all your debt, you take any extra money you have and you throw it at the lowest balance loans And you get rid of those loans and then you take whatever additional money that comes from that and you put it on the next lowest balance loan. The avalanche method is when you're paying off the highest interest rate first. So, yes, it's correct that when you pay off the highest interest rate of your debts first, you're going to essentially save on interest rates. It's just mathematically because you're paying off those debts first. When it comes to that, you should do the math for your particular situation. Now, I will say this. The interest rates on your debt are not that different or far apart. So we're not talking about like a 30% interest rate and a 2% or 5% interest rate. They're very close. So in your situation, um, and I'll explain the math in a bit, it really actually doesn't matter which one you choose. So for example, when I put the numbers in, I had to make up your minimum payments, but I assume that you had to pay $500 of minimum payments towards your student loan and car loan, right? Let's just pretend that's your minimum payment. And then I assumed that you had an additional $500 to put towards your debt. So when I did that, so I put that in. And when I did that, it said that if you did the avalanche method, so that would be paying off your student loan, even though it's the higher balance first, you'd save uh, $3,300 in interest rate by doing the avalanche method and then making the additional payments. And so when I put in the snowball method, when you paid off your car loan first, even though it had a higher interest rate, you'd save $3,100 in interest rate. So you'd be saving a little less doing the snowball method, but when you do the math, so again, you're gonna save $3,300 doing the avalanche method in interest, and then you save $3,100. This really comes out to $3,184 doing the snowball method. When I subtracted the difference, it only came out to $123, right? So in your case, the interest rates really are so close together that it Doesn't it's not gonna be an impact that much. I'd say because of that, I like the psychology motivation behind it. So because you'd be able to get rid of your car loan faster or first because it's only $12,000 versus your student loans are double that, that might be a good motivating factor because you'll see that number go down. And then once that's done, you get to focus on paying off your student loan. Versus it will take you longer if you're focusing on your student loan to pay that off because the balance is higher, right? It'll take you double as much time. So essentially, I would go for the snowball method, even though you save a little less money um, in interest, but really like it's going to be over a period of, you know, a while, like three years anyway that you're paying off this debt. So saving $123 is not that much. Now, if you told me you could save $123 in one month, I'd say that makes sense, you know, but over a period of time, I would then choose like what would motivate me internally, intrinsically. And that for me would be psychology of just like, let me just knock out this debt as quick as possible. And then I could do that with the lowest balance debt. You had a couple other questions or things in here that I wanted to mention. So you said that you live at home with your parents and you're eager to get out. I get it. It sounds like you just graduated from school. And listen, it's. I think we all want to be like, get into this idea that we are adults now. We want our own space. Like, that's what we want. And that's great. But if you get along with your parents, for the most part, if it's a safe environment, I say you stay as long as possible. You know, there's no shame in living at home, especially if your parents want to help you in that way. I think it's such an amazing thing that parents and kids or adult children can do to help each other, especially because, I mean, I have no shame in my game. My mom also let me stay home after I graduated from college, and I was saving up money to move into my condo once she did that. So because you have such a, this wonderful opportunity to save so much money, because literally, like when you go out into the real world and you have to pay a mortgage or rent and electricities and bills it's not gonna be sweet. So, you know, it's gonna eat into how much debt you can pay off. So I'd say stick and focus on paying off your debt while you're at home. And then once you have like a solid foundation, think about what it looks like to move out on your own. The other thing is that you're considering taking up a side hustle or picking up your side hustle. And you're saying that you won't have as much like free time or social life. And I get that, but I think you should still do it because- let's just say, so I did another calculation. If you were to only have, so you're paying 500 minimum in this scenario that I made up plus 500 additional, right? You said you get overtime. So let's just say you have 500 additional from overtime to put towards your debt. That's great, right? And let's stick with the snowball method because we're going to be paying off the lowest balance first. You'd save um, $3,184 if you do it that way. Let's just say, because you're side hustling, you could bring in an extra $500. So now, it's not just $500 additionally you have to pay off your debt. You have $1,000 extra a month on top of your minimum to pay off your debt. You could uh, save $4,100 in interest and you'd be debt-free. This says August 2021, right? So in about, what we are in 2019 now, it's about to end. In about like a year and a half, is that correct, the math? I'm not sure. <laughs> you'd be debt-free if you were able to have the extra additional money from a side hustle. So I get that it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose out because you have to wake up so early. But one, let's remember, I don't know how often you're going to do this, but it doesn't have to be every day. Maybe you do it four or five days a week. You still have two, three days a week to then dedicate to yourself and rest and hanging out with your friends. And ultimately, you have to do things that are going to be uncomfortable, that are going to be a sacrifice. So for this long-term benefit and privilege and freedom of being debt-free, you're going to have to do some work up front. And it will be all worth it. You know, I often look back on the days when I was single or I didn't have kids and that I was able to like spend my Saturdays and Sundays resting or doing whatever I wanted. And so if this is the case for you, if you don't have kids and you have the luxury of having more time, you can make up like the rest and hang out with your friends on the weekends or just maybe in the week on one day. So I definitely think you should pick up your side hustle if you're really serious about knocking out your debt. And it sounds good to be debt-free by August 2021 or whatever date um, that works out to you when you do your, the math for yourself, then do it. There is no long-term gain or amazing gains without some sacrifice up front. And again, you still have the benefit of being able to be at home with parents who seem to love you because you know they're letting you stay with them and also uh, the opportunities to earn extra money in this way. So I say go for it and get rid of this debt as fast as possible And the other thing I have to say is if you have access to any retirement accounts through your job, at least do, hopefully they're doing a match, do at least up to the match. So you don't waste or lose that accruing and accumulating compounding interest over time. And then think about as you are able to get out of debt, how much extra money now you have that you can put towards saving and investing and building wealth and reaching financial independence. So I hope that helps, Kristen. Okay, real, real, real quick. (laughs) I had to record a add-on part to this answer because just quickly, I recorded this live for Instagram and IGTV. So if you follow me on Instagram, you can also watch me with this last answer, like answer the question live on video at journey to launch and then go to my IGTV. So I posted this right after I answered it and a lovely, nice follower or journeyer said, this is so good. So she's responding to my answer. She said, and by the way, her name, just to give her some credit is Carrie. And her name is CM Vedley on Instagram. She said, this is so good. I'm surprised you didn't say sell the car, get really uncomfortable and sell away your debt. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe I did not mention that or say that. Usually I would think or say that in a response to something like this, but I was like, you know what? That's good input. And I have to just record a snippet To put in the podcast episode because maybe this will help Kristen or someone else who's going through the situation. But yes, Carrie has a good point. You can also sell your car. So I'm not exactly sure where you live, how far you live from work, how often you need the car. But this is just something for anyone who's looking to get out of debt is that is this something you really need? Can you sell it? Because think about it. The car balance is about 12,000 and the student loan balance is 22,000. You sell that and you wipe away more than half your debt. So now you're only left with about, what is that? $11,000 worth of debt, or even less than that, $10,000 worth of debt, which is your student loan debt. Focus on that for, let's just say a year, you're you're out of debt. And then you can save for your new car and buy it cash. Again, I don't know your situation. If you need a car to get to and from work, but if that's the case, can you downgrade to a cheaper car that's still reliable in the meantime? Remember, This is all about making these sacrifices up front so you can live your best financially free life later. So I just wanted to come in and record this separately just in case someone may need to hear this. Like you can also sell things and sell debt that is not as of importance to you as other things that you wanna do like being debt free. Okay, so I think... That was going to be all the questions I answered. If you want me to answer any of your questions for the next question and answer episode, you can leave your voicemail question at journeytolaunch.com slash voicemail, or you can send your question into info at journeytolaunch. Make sure you're following me on social media at journeytolaunch. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you're interested in the Money Launch Club, go to moneylaunchclub.com. And get on the wait list so you can be the first to be notified when doors open again. Now, like I said in the beginning, let me read a special podcast review from a journeyer who took the time to leave a review. Okay, Key says, I can't stop listening. This podcast is so needed. We never talked about finances in my home while growing up. So my knowledge on how to manage money comes from me figuring it out all by myself. I knew one principle and that was to always pay your bills, but the importance of saving and investing I had no knowledge of. This podcast is a gap filler for me. Thank you for your vision to plant the seed of financial freedom through this podcast. You are really God sent for so many people. You are walking in your purpose, Jamila. Please remember that. Thank you so much, Key. Really, like these are the things that keep me going when I'm questioning my life. <laughs> so thank you for leaving that message. And again, you can leave a message if you listen to this in Apple Podcasts. you can leave your review, I should say, by clicking on the Purple app, making sure you're subscribed and then rating and reviewing the podcast. All right. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers.